Colossians chapter 1, this, this passage ties in with our, um, with our the membership class we've been talking about. One of the things that, the reason I wanted to preach the sermon today is because it talks specifically about supremacy. Uh, and also specifically about the supremacy of Christ in this passage. An amazing passage. But <clears throat> before we get into that, I want to tell you about a special place. It's admittedly special for me uh, more than any of you because I'm probably the only one in here who's ever been there. But it was a memory I have from childhood. All the way from about age 5 to age 10, my family would make a journey together. On probably, we would go about once every six months. Are you staying in here? Hello, Andrew. Thank you. Um, about once every six months, I would, uh, I would travel to uh, this small little shed, or a shack, we'll call it, uh, in the backwoods of Arkansas. I grew up in Little Rock. We took this 45-minute trek uh, out to this little shack. And you would literally pass it by. You definitely would pass it by if you had seen it. But we knew about what was inside that shack, and that was the most important part. What was inside that shack was, hands down, and I'm unbiased, hands down the best burger you could get in the state of Arkansas. Uh, The place was called Cottom's, and it was exceptional. And when I was seven years old, I remember getting what they called the Hubcap Burger, about the size of my head at the time. And and I remember the delicious, the, the succulent nature of that burger. I remember how ta- juicy, tasty, and simply incredible that burger was. Now, here's what's interesting. This is between, again, the ages of 5 to 10, maybe even beyond that. I had no way to explain to you why that burger was so sublime. But I just knew it when I tasted it. I just experienced its its incredibly supreme nature when I was that age. Now, I've grown up a bit. I'm not seven anymore. I know that's hard to believe. But but Andrew is. Andrew's still seven. But since then, I've tasted a lot of burgers. And honestly, I think Charlottesville has a burger that is excellent. There's this place on the downtown mall called Citizen Burger Bar. If you guys have time after church today, I highly recommend Citizen Burger Bar. But here's the difference between me eating today at Citizen Burger Bar and me eating that burger at Cottom's when I was seven years old. The difference is now I can explain to you why the burger at Citizen is supreme. And here are a few of the things that I might tell you if I was describing the burger at Citizen. Fresh, never frozen, locally sourced meat. It's amazing. Local, organic, fresh vegetables that are put on top of the burger. And not like, you know, asparagus, but, you know, lettuce and tomato and things like that. Locally made, hand-formed buns. Again, essential for a supreme burger. Proper cooking time. Are you with me on this? Give me some. Proper cooking time. Right? Most restaurants decide that their burgers have to be well done, which is a huge mistake. But Citizen Burger Bar will cook it to order. So they'll give you a nice, large piece of pink meat in the middle, which means it's cooked just 
right. Which it, mean, it means it maintains some juiciness is basically what we're saying when we do that. And lastly, they have the correct seasoning. You don't want it to be over-seasoned or too salty. But you also don't want, you, you also want just the right amount to kind of open up your taste buds and find out about the supreme burger as you experience it going into your mouth. I'm so sorry I'm making you so hungry this close to lunch. I apologize. Uh, forgive me on that one. But the, tr- the same is true, I think, to some degree, about our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ and who He is and what He is. I think many of us, when we're younger or younger in our faith, we just experience Jesus for who He is. And we just know. There's, there's an experience of His supremacy, of His satisfaction, of the way that He is the God Almighty in human form. But we may not, early on in our Christian walk, or if you haven't started your Christian walk, you may not be able to describe why Jesus is supreme. But the reality is that the Bible gives us vocabulary for describing why Jesus is supreme above all others. Above all other beings, above all other gods, above all other philosophies. He is the supreme creator and king of the universe. And that is exactly what we find, if you'll turn with me, to Colossians chapter 1. As we read verses, we're going to read verses 15 through 20. 15 through 20. He, that is Jesus. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We'll end there. This is an important passage and it needs unpacking. It, it is, there's a lot of big words going on here. And this is, it's also a passage that is it's meant to be like a poem or a song, or a hymn. It's this beautiful picture that Paul is writing about who Jesus actually is. Now, it's important, I think, for us to break it down because there's, there's so much going on. And so I can't cover it all in our short time together this morning, but I'm going to do my best to hit the main points. And 
the, the best way for us to hit the main points is to understand a little bit about what the original readers, or original hearers of this passage, what they would have understood. I think that'll help us move through it quickly. And that is this. The Hebrew word, birsit. The Hebrew word, birsit. It is the very first word of the entire Torah. Have you ever heard of the Torah? That is the Old Testament. That is the original writings of the Bible. The Hebrew Bible. The first word of that Bible is birsit. Does anyone know what it's translated at as in English? I saw it. I saw Maya. You know. Go ahead. I don't know. Okay. You looked like you knew on your, on your face. Does anybody know what the translation of that is? In the beginning. In the beginning. She had that. She had that. I knew it. I knew it. In the beginning. Now this word, though, is, as most Hebrew words are, it leaves you with a variety of translation options, especially into the English. And it really can mean this. The first word, ba, in the Hebrew, can mean in, by, and for. It can mean all three of those things. And then the other part of the word, irsit, uh, can mean first fruits, beginning, sum total, and supreme. I know, I know that's a lot, you're probably like, whoa, that's a lot contained in those two words. But it's true. It's true. This is, I did a lot of study on this. And those, those things can come out of that very first word of the Hebrew Bible. And that is, the reason it's important for us to know that is because this is how the original hearers and readers of this passage would have understood what Paul was talking about in this passage. They would have seen immediately, oh, Paul, the writer of Colossians, is showing that Jesus is this word. Jesus is the summary of this word. And the reason this word, this first word of the Torah, was important, not only would you, if you were a good Jew, not only would you have it memorized, but you would understand that this was talking about the wisdom literature of the Bible. In the beginning, talked about the fact that it was describing who was there when God created the world. In the beginning, what? Does anybody know how that passage goes on? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's this idea that Paul is getting at, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God was doing in the beginning. And that's why in this passage here in Colossians, Paul says things like, all things were created in Christ. He says everything was created by Christ, and everything was created for Christ. He is unpacking the understanding that Jesus is the supreme. He is God. He is the God of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. He is the most important one in the universe. That is Jesus. Let, let's, let's continue to, to quickly unpack this a little bit by first looking at what it means that Jesus, that, um, Jesus was there when creation was started, when God made all things. In Christ, Christ was the starter. And we find... The, the understanding of this in Proverbs chapter 3 and Proverbs chapter 8. So it says this in Proverbs chapter, um, this is chapter 8. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. And then it goes on. This is what's interesting in Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus as personified wisdom, which Paul talks about a lot in his, in his writings. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, 
the, acts of, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginnings of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, and when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. And to quickly talk about theology, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created here. It just means his wisdom was being brought forth. His wisdom was being put onto the creation, was a part of the creation, everything that we see and that we know. Jesus was a part of that process as the Holy Spirit was, as the Father was. When he established the heavens, I was there, it says Proverbs 3. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was his daily delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. All things were... (laughs) <laughs> that's Proverbs chapter 3 or is it 8 sorry 8 8 okay. sorry Whoop. my bad you're like what is going on here yeah, right. chapter 8 sorry man it's chapter 8 verses 22 to 31 why don't you get, make sure you get there you see it now got it sorry about that I apologize for calling that chapter 3 it's actually chapter 8 so the point is that all things were created in him that is Christ mm-hmm. all things were created in in him. He was there at the beginning. But the second point that Paul is making in this passage in Colossians is that all things were created by Christ. All things were created by Christ. This concept I think we can best get at when we walk outside. When we walk outside in the created world. And what I mean by that is I like living in the mountains of Virginia. And I know, Michael, you guys get this. Uh, you get a, a picture of this as you get to drive home this afternoon. And you may have gotten it this morning, right? Coming down 64. I love that section of the country. Coming down the mountains of 64, you have this glorious, uh, they, the mountains sort of rise up. And then as you come over this huge hill, you get to see the other side of the Shenandoah Valley. And that whole range uh, blows up in front of you. And the thing that I'm reminded of, I, well, I try to remind myself of, when I come up over that rise, is that don't worship the mountains, Nathan. Don't praise the mountains. Praise the one who made the mountains. These, these things were created by Christ. Those mountains are, are put there for me to give Christ the glory, to give God the glory. He is the designer. He is the creator. He is the one who made all things. All things were created by Him. But we go on. And this, I think this is uh, an important point also from that Hebrew word, ba. In, by, and for. All things were created for Christ. We talked about this for a little bit at this, that uh, class we had this morning, the membership class. All things were created for Christ. It's the point of what we do as a church. The, we're not here because we like to gather together. We're not here because we think it'd be cool or because we want to get our brownie points before God for the week. That is not why we're here. Jesus is the point. He's the point of it all. We don't have to... There's a freedom here for all of us because everyone at some point has asked in their life, is there meaning? Right? Is there... Like, I see all these things happening around me. My life feels... I feel like I'm getting pulled from one thing to the next... Is there a purpose to all of this? And the Bible teaches, especially through Christ, that absolutely there is. 
that all things are being brought together for Christ. We don't, when we know Jesus, we don't have to sit awake at night and wonder what is the point of it all. The Bible has, is very clear for us in what the point is. It's about Jesus. And that's how I opened up our class this morning. I said, we watched a clip from Joe Rogan, who was the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the moderate, well, the, the host, thank you, the host of Fear Factor. He has a new self-help brand called On It. And there's this video he's got on YouTube where he's like, you can do it. And he says, you are the hero of your own movie. Go out there and take some ground. That's not what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible is teaching us Jesus is the hero of your story. He's the hero of your, everyone's story. He's the hero of your story. You're not the hero of your own story. That's hard to take. It's humbling. I don't like it. Because <laughs> most days I wake up and I'm like, what do I want today? You know, what am I going to try to do to make myself happy today? I don't like it, but it's the truth. Jesus is the hero and the point. Okay, so that's unpacking that first word, buh. Paul has unpacked it for us. All things were created in him, by him, and for him. But now let's look at your seat very quickly. Your seat, well, okay, may not be that quick, but uh, your seat basically means beginning, sum total, first fruits, firstborn, and head. We don't have time to go into all of them. Beginning, we've already talked about. Jesus was there at the beginning of the creation of the world at, in, in the Trinity. He was there. He was a part of it. Uh, so we're going to move past that one. But let's look uh, very briefly at Jesus being the sum total. Jesus is the sum total. And, and I think the best way for us to understand this, and for my simplistic mind, it's helpful for me, even though it's an analogy that breaks down. Jesus is the glue. He is the glue that holds all things together. Think about that for a moment. What does glue do in our lives? What do you use glue for? Fix things. things. Yeah. Hold things together that are broken. Bring things back together that got broken. Jesus is that. He is the one who is restoring broken relationships. He's the one that is bringing together the parts of you that feel broken, that feel scattered. He is the glue. He is the one, he is the great reconciler, right? The Bible talks about that a lot. We read it even in uh, 2 Corinthians this morning. He is the one who reconciles us to God, and Jesus is the one who reconciles us to one another. We could not have relationship, loving relationship with one another without Jesus. It's not possible. And you see the effects of, of um, relationship without Jesus when you read the news. You know what it's like. I don't have to describe it to you. You know what it's like. But he is the one who reconciles and brings together. Secondly, the, uh, it talks about Jesus as the first fruits, um, which means Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. That does not mean birth order. Like, we might have birth order, like, Hunter was born first, Andrew was born second, and Lyndon was born third. That's their birth order. It doesn't, when it says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it's not talking about he was the oldest. 
He was the oldest son. It means Jesus outranks all. Jesus outranks everything and everyone. You ever been in the military? Anybody been in the military? Yeah, Doug, Ron. I never understood this concept well until I was around someone who was in the military. It was at this school, which you drove by this morning coming down here, called Virginia Military Institute. And at the church I was working at in Lexington, there was a gentleman in the church who was a two-star general. And uh, he taught at Virginia Military Institute. And one day, I went to meet him for lunch. I knew him as Greg. Hey, Greg. How you doing, Greg? What's up, man? It's cool. You guys know how I am. Giving fist bumps and hugs. And yeah, isn't this great? And I, I get there, and I'm walking around post. That's what they call it. They don't call it campus. They call it post. I'm walking around post next to Greg. He's right here next to me. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, but as we walk by, all the students part ways, stand on the side of the sidewalk, and salute. I mean, it's, it's awkward, but it was fun. Because <laughs> I've never been saluted, and they obviously weren't saluting me, but they were saluting him, but I, I got to feel it. And so we walked. I mean, it was just like the sea parting. It was like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, that's my friend right here, Greg. But that is like the smallest vision of what it means that Christ outranks all and we get to be united with Christ. Think about it. We are united with Christ. Wow! That's well beyond a few people at a small military institute saluting next to you. We are connected with Him. He outranks all. That is an incredible privilege. Have you thought about the level of privilege that we have by the fact that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. All creation. He is numero uno. Next, Jesus also is the head. He's the head of the body. This one I think is a little easier to understand, that he is, he is the head of the body, because all we have to do is think about our own bodies. All we have to think about is the fact that, watch this. You guys ready? That's pretty amazing, huh? Did you see that? All I had to do was send a signal to my arm. Isn't that amazing? Like, all I have to have is a thought. Think of, I mean, that's incredible. All I have to have is a thought. That just happened. Wow! The head directs the body. Doesn't it? Jesus directs the body. That is, the church. He says this, and this happens. He's the king. He is the one. So not only does he direct us as his church and guide us and do it gently and lovingly, but also, what happens if you cut my arm off? I'm missing an arm. Right? I mean, it would be kind of hard to drive at that point, but I would relearn. What happens if you cut my leg off? What happens if you cut my head off? Yeah. Because the life is in the head. The same thing is true for Jesus, right? If we are cut off from Him, that is the church, the body, what happens? We die. 
He is the life of the church. Jesus is the reason there's any life at all to what we do and what we say. He is the head. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the supreme. He is the head. He is the glue. He is the sum total. All right. Very quickly, I want to mention as we... Let me check my time. Where's my phone? Yeah, okay. i got a couple minutes. Um, really quickly, I want to talk about Jesus being supreme, not just in all of creation, which he is, but Jesus is also supreme in redemption. He is the supreme in redemption. Um, he is the one who reconciles all. And this is the way one of the commentators, as I was studying this, this is the way one of the commentators put it, and I think it's helpful. It's better than I could ever describe it. The death of an obscure Jew on a seemingly God-forsaken hillock in the backwater of the Roman Empire attracted no notice from the historians of the era. But it was the event that reconciles heaven and earth. The world may be corrupted, disordered, and ravaged by sin, but God still loves it, and God intends for it to fulfill its destiny in Christ. Sin has defaced Christ's work in creation, but He came to undo its consequences and to bring concord in a universe out of harmony with God. Jesus is supreme in redemption. He is the one who brings us back into accord with God. Again, it's what, we, it's what we read as the assurance of pardon this morning. Jesus became sin. The firstborn became, the fir- that, that means the one who outranks all became sin. And we were given his rank. We were given a perfectly sinless life in the great exchange of the gospel. It is the most incredible transaction that has ever happened in the history of the world or ever will happen in the history of the world. That transaction. Our sin given to Jesus. His perfect righteousness given to us. He outranks all, even in redemption. He is the reason that we can have hope that we can believe that there is change that can happen in all of us. So, Jesus Christ is supreme. He is Lord. And we have reasons to believe that, y'all. Someone didn't just make it up. Someone didn't just say, Jesus, oh, I guess we'll do that. You know, instead of Buddha, we'll have Jesus over here and he'll be the creation. The, The Bible gives us very clear reasons why he is the supreme over all. There's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. He is supreme over creation and redemption. But what does it mean for us? Let's look at a, a few things as we conclude. What does it mean for us that Jesus is the supreme creator of all and the supreme redeemer of all? What difference does it make? A few th- There's a lot. There's, I don't have time to go into all of it, but I've thought of a few that might be helpful for us. And if you think of others, apply those, please. Uh, the first is that Jesus deserves praise. Seems rather simple, but um, there's a it's a help to us, right? Because I know some days, if you're like me, you don't necessarily feel it. You don't feel like waking up and praising Jesus, praising God in all of His glory, right? There, we need the help of the reasons some days. Some days your heart may just be overflowing by the Holy Spirit moving and you're ready to get up and shake a leg and give God all the glory. But some days we need the reasons. We need to know why. Why, Lord? Because 
things seem to be falling apart around me. I need you to show up that I might praise you. I need to know and to see and to understand your supremacy, Jesus, that I might praise you. Again, it's like the burger I talked about at the beginning. We have reasons to worship him. He is worth all of our praise. Secondly, so Jesus deserves praise as the supreme being of the universe, the summum bonum, the great good. He deserves our praise. And not just here for a little while on Sunday morning. He deserves the praise that our lives can give in every sphere that we inhabit throughout the week. He deserves the praise. It doesn't necessarily mean standing up, holding up your arm and singing a praise song at work. That's not necess- It might. If that's where God's leading you, absolutely, go do it. But it can mean things just by just doing your work well. Just ser- praising Him by just serving Him in whatever humble position that He's put you in. And giving thanks to Him for what He's given you, even though you might want more and feel like you deserve more. There's also trust. Jesus, as the supreme uh, Christ, the supreme being, he deserves trust. Um, I think that's something that I have had, really had to lean into uh, doing church planting. Church planting's not easy. Uh, it requires a lot of trust in God. That God is doing something, even when we can't see it. That he is moving in places, that he is answering prayer all of the time on our behalf. That he is the one who's moving and at work. And he is the one who's going to do all of the work for us and with us. Trust. Jesus deserves trust. And I mean, I need that because I have anxiety. I get anxious about a lot of things. And it's easy for me to be like, in my anxiety, to try to grab control of the situation. Control the the factors that might lead to a happier outcome, control the people who are involved in whatever situation is, control myself and my feelings. It just, I, that's just the mode that it's easy to get into, that I can somehow fix it. Instead of being like, Lord, I trust. Because you're supreme, I trust your supremacy in even this difficult situation. And lastly... Or wait, what, how, what's the phrase that... that um, pause. Yes. Let's pause for the final point. Jesus deserves pursuit. As the supreme, it's why we go after the great burger in town. I, you may have noticed with me that Citizen Burger Bar uh, is never empty. It's often frustrating to me. I'm like, oh, let's go to... I tell Christy, let's go to Citizen Burger Bar tonight. We'll go early, like 5.30, when most people haven't started eating dinner. We walk in, it's an hour wait. 5.30 p.m. I'm, we, I tell the people, we should have beat the crowds. That's why we came here a little bit early. Nope. Can't get in for at least an hour. Because pers- people pursue that which is best. We pursue that which we believe to be best. Where are you in your pursuit of that which is best? He is 
the great king. He deserves not just praise, of course, and trust, but also pursuit. He is worth the sacrifice. He's worth it. So think for a moment about the spheres of your life. What might it look like for Christ to reign supreme in your home, in your work, in the community, in your school, in your thought life, in your financial life, in your digital life, in your social life, in your environmental life? What might it look like for Christ to reign supreme in every sphere of your life? Let's pray. Lord God, you are amazing. (laughs) You are astounding. You are phenomenal. You are great. You are good. You're huge. Lord, may our hearts follow our words. As we come to, to praise you here at the end of this service, Lord, and I pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified by all that we do as a church. Lord, may this never be about us. May it be about you and about your glory and your goodness and the way that you're transforming this world through us. But Lord, I pray that you would first transform us. Lord, I pray that your supremacy would, be, would, would powerfully move in our hearts. And we would see that Lord, I pray that you would knock down our pride, if even for a moment, that we could see Jesus for who he is. He could be supreme, because he is the one who gave all for us. He came down, he lived a perfect life, he died a perfect death on the cross for us. Lord God, you are great. Pray that you would bring us a renewed passion to know you even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.